Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Amen. So if you guys were here last week, you know that we, uh, Pastor Regal, preached a message of counting the cost. And it's crazy because there's somebody in here today that a couple years ago, they preached a message called counting the cost. And I was thinking about this person yesterday because I'm just piggybacking off of Pastor Regal's message of counting the cost. And I just want to go a little bit deeper into this today of what counting the cost looks like in the life of a believer. And as we go deeper in this, I I pray that we truly get to a place where we see the benefit of what we have counted. Amen? So today's preaching is actually going to be in two parts. The first part, I'm going to talk about counting the cost, and the second part is going to be about finishing well. Look to the person next to you, tell them, finish well. Finish well. So counting the cost, and as we heard Pastor Rigo last week, he spoke a lot about this. And we went over a lot of scripture where Jesus spoke on what it looks like to be his disciple. So if you guys could turn with me to Luke 18, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 30. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't get along along somebody that has a Bible, or you could take out your smart device. So Luke 18... And it's going to be verses 18 through 30. If you could give me an amen when you're there. It's always so awesome, the first person that says amen. Like, man, I know that you are good with technology. (laughs) I'm the most illiterate person when it comes to technology. I don't even know what my own passcode to my phone is sometimes. (laughs) All right, so Luke 18, 18 through 30. Here we go. Here we see the rich young ruler. I know a lot of you guys are familiar with the story. So verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I read this first, I read the first part of this verse, verse 18, and I think about, man, he kind of set himself up for failure because he's already asking, what must I do? And there's nothing that he can do, right? We're saved By grace, through faith, it's nothing of our own. So he kind of set himself up for failures in asking the question right there. Verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 21, all of these I have kept since I was a boy, he says. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 23, when he heard this, catch this part, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, you guys have heard this one before. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about counting the cost. And the rich young ruler here counted his cost. 
He decided that he wasn't willing to pay the price that Jesus was telling him to pay. It's too much for him. He wasn't willing to give up earthly desires for eternal glory. Jesus was calling him to leave his comfort zone. You want to follow me? It's going to be uncomfortable. Have you guys ever been uncomfortable in your walk? You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought it was going to be very easy. And I thought things were going to be rainbows and butterflies every day, man, because I accepted the Lord and I walk with authority. Listen, I'm not saying that I don't walk with authority. and You guys walk with authority as well. But, man, is it one of the most difficult things I have ever done in my life. But I chose, you guys chose, to count the cost for it. Look what the crowd says in verse 26. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. We left it all behind. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And I love what Peter says in verse 28. We have left it all. We left everything to follow you, Lord. See, because Peter recognizes something here. You recognize that nothing earthly here can keep me from being your disciple. That I will leave it all behind for the joy of just knowing you, Lord. Peter counted the cost. Can you imagine leaving everything you know behind? Getting out of your comfort zone. What does that even look like for some of us? What if the Lord is calling you to a distant land one day? Will you step into that calling? Will you pay the cost to a greater calling? Will you forsake everything? Will you leave everything behind? Let's look at some things here that we may encounter when following Jesus. Let's dive into this stuff. And let me tell you, some of, this, some of these things are going to cut you to the heart. And it's good. I want you to get cut to the heart. Because that's where conviction comes from. Don't get upset with me. This is God's word. This is God's word. It's a double-edged sword, right? So I, I pray that you are cut to the heart. I, I pray that conviction is brought upon you, that you leave your asking yourself questions. Something that you may experience, some of you may have experienced already. Hatred from the world, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the world to hate you? Turn with me to John 15. John 15 says this, if the world, these are Jesus' words, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And maybe some of you guys have experienced this type of persecution, maybe in your family, in your jobs, in your friends. Sometimes people think that I belong to a cult. They think I go to some crazy meeting where the walls are all black and I have red beam lights and I'm like, I got blood all over my face. They think we belong to a cult. I've had this like discussed with me before. 
I don't know if you, people have come up to you and say, man, what is this gathering you guys do on Sunday Sundays? Like you're there all the time. Sometimes you don't want to come hang out with me because you have church things to They don't understand these things. The world doesn't get it. They don't understand. In counting the cost many times, the Lord is going to strip things away from you. Certain friends are going to stop hanging around you. I've experienced that. Family's going to act different around you. People at your jobs may treat you different. And I'm sure some of you have experienced these things, if not all of them. And I hope you have because it shows, it shows that you bear the mark that you're different. I've experienced this plenty of times. Just go outside and preach God's word to the world. And I promise you, you're going to find opposition. I promise you that. Why? Because the world hates it. Because many have been blinded by the enemy. Many have been hurt so deep that they want nothing to do with God. The world is at enmity with God because it lives for the flesh. Romans 8.17 says this, that the mind is governed by the flesh and is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. You see, the mind of a believer is governed by the Spirit. We don't walk in the flesh because we've been born again. And someone who has been born again now has new desires. Church, do you have new desires? Nobody has new desires? Man, you know, last week, Pastor Rigo said, man, we could just have a call to salvation right now. We need a call to salvation right now, we're good. You guys have new desires, right? You're new creatures found in Jesus, right? Hallelujah. Scripture says that we're new creations. But if you have not been born again, then you walk in the flesh, in the carnality of the world. And the world hates what it cannot understand. They will hate you because you represent something that they have never had an encounter with. But catch this part. In the middle of the opposition, it's worth to preach Jesus. It's worth to preach it. Because not only is it worth to preach Jesus, but we are commanded to preach Jesus. It's worth it because the day, listen to this, the day is going to come where your preaching and your word is going to fall on someone's ears who is desperate for hope. The day is going to come. I promise you the day is going to come. And the truth is that the world may only have an encounter of God through you. That's why you have to be ready in every single season to preach the word. In love, in patience, and in gentleness. You may be the only encounter they ever have. I had a co-worker tell me that one day. He says, you know, every time I come to work, I've never been a religious man. But the only glimpse of God I get is when you are here. And that's not to boast in me. That's not boasting in me whatsoever. That's boasting in the cross. I'm boasting in the work that Christ has done in my heart. So that's powerful, and I pray that you have those encounters, that people come alongside you and say, man, there's something different about you. You walk in a different way. You act a different way. You speak a different way. Man, and that they have a true encounter with God because of you. If you're writing this down, the Christian walk, something you may encounter is a call to self-denial. Self-denial. The call to follow Jesus is not a call to self-fulfillment, but a call to self-denial. 
denying ourselves. It's not a call to, yes, Lord, I want to be rich. Lord, I want to have a great house. I want to have a great career. I want to have an amazing family with zero problems in my life. I want to be healthy. I want to get to an old age. I want to die a death that does not hurt me, die in my sleep. That's not what God is calling you to. I hope you recognize that, church. And that's not the life of a Christian. Jesus says that in this world, you are going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation, but to take heart because he has overcome. He has overcome the world. So it's a call to self-denial, laying down all of our desires. It's not a five-year plan on how I'm going to grow my bank account. It's not a 10-step program on how to be popular. It's a call to lay down my life at the foot of the cross. That's the call of a Christian. You want to experience life? Die to yourself and become alive in Jesus. That's where it starts. Luke 9.23 says this. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost, church? Because counting the cost is going to cause you to be out of your comfort zone. And people love to stay comfortable. People love to stay comfortable. But being a follower of Jesus will make you feel very uncomfortable at times. Why? Because you're dying to yourself daily. You're fighting against your flesh. You're fighting against something that is unnatural. Because the Spirit of God is not natural, it's divine. And now that Spirit dwells within you fighting against the carnal man. It's unnatural. This is a very popular scripture, Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Think about this. You're comfortable in your flesh, but the Lord is calling you to die to your flesh. So it becomes uncomfortable, so you should ask yourself, is me dying to my flesh daily worth the cost of following Jesus? I pray for you that it is. A call to self-denial. It may prove difficult at times, absolutely. A lot of the times it's going to prove difficult because we're constantly fighting against the flesh. It's difficult, but it has eternal rewards. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. So count the cost. The world is going to hate you. Good. Let them hate you. Continue walking in light. Your family may not understand what you're doing. Good. Let them not understand. Continue walking in light. Your friends are going to say, why don't you want to come with me to the bars? How come you don't want to come to me to the casino? How come you don't want to come with me? Good. Continue walking in light. People are not going to understand what you're doing. They're not going to understand that you have died to yourself, that you have laid down your life at the foot of the cross. Good. Let them not understand, but continue to preach the word. Continue to preach love. Continue to preach patience, gentleness, love on these people. Because one day, one day, that seed that you have thrown, the Lord may decide to water that seed because of the word that you have preached to these people. So continue without ceasing, with perseverance, 
Continue to walk in light. Continue to walk in light. You should write that in your notes. Continue to walk in the light. So you've counted the cost. Okay, now what? Live a life. Surrender to Jesus. Have you counted the cost? Surrender it to him. And finish well. Finish the race well. A life of serving others. A life of laying down your desires. A life of living at the foot of the cross. A life sold out for Jesus. And what does a sold out life look for Jesus? It looks different for all of us. I don't know what your ministry is, but I promise you something, that you have a ministry. If you are a Christian, you have a ministry. Where does it begin? Does it start with your wife? Does it start with your family? Does it start at work? Whatever your ministry is, you have a ministry. And don't let the enemy come and steal that from you. Because that's what the enemy likes to do. He likes to come and whisper things in your ear. Know that you're not talented enough. Know that you cannot speak good enough. Know that you can't do this and you can't do that. He is the father of lies. That's who the enemy is. He wants to instill fear. He wants to instill doubt. He wants to instill confusion in you. And what happens when you're confused? You start to question God. We start to question the Lord. Lord, I, I follow you, but... I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could pray for a brother. I don't know if I could have coffee with this sister because she's going through these problems. I've never been through problems like that. I don't know how am I going to counsel her. Let God do the work. Let the Holy Spirit move. Let the Spirit of the Lord move. I'm going to tell you guys a story. I've preached a story here once about a man named John Chow. I don't know if you guys know who this man is, but you're about to know him very soon. It, it, Rudy, if you could bring up the picture. There he is, John Chow. Look at this guy. <laughs> I don't know if you know this story. Some of you might. So I'm going to read to you a little bit about who he is, his biography, and what he's done. So in 2018, John Chow, a 26-year-old American, he was an adventure blogger. He was a beef jerky marketer, and he was an evangelical missionary. He was killed by the isolated tribe when he was, a, he was attempting to convert to Christianity. Some of you guys may know the story. He was killed by the most isolated tribe in the world. They're located in North Centennial Island. It's an island off of the Bay of Bengal. It's about 700 miles off the coast of India. And there, this tribe resides, the Sentinelese people. And they have almost had no contact with the outside world. For thousands of years, they're indigenous. It's actually illegal to go to this island. You can't go there. So the government of India doesn't let people approach this tribe anymore because one of two reasons. You have to stay four, it's a 400 perimeter that they have around the coast. 400 yard perimeter. You, that's, how, that's the closest you could get. For two reasons. Reason number one is because they have been very hostile to outsiders. They don't talk, take well to people stepping foot on their island. And number two, because if someone from the outside has contact with them, then diseases can be introduced to the tribe and they could wipe out their entire civilization. Those are the two main reasons why you can't go there. But we have this man, John Chow. He was so convicted to take the gospel to these people. No matter what the cost was, John visited the surrounding islands about four or five times just to get a feel for it. He wanted to get acquainted. He wanted to scope things out. 
So he was able to speak with a couple local fishermen there who agreed to take him. And the fishermen warned him plenty of times, don't go there. Anytime somebody has gone, they don't come back. They told him how dangerous the tribe is, that they're hostile to outsiders. And this is pretty awesome, something that happened with John. The fishermen agreed to take him. And while on his journey there, John had a journal that they recovered. And in this journal, he was writing a lot of things. And one of the things, one of the entries that he wrote was a prayer. And he says this, Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have heard your name? He's writing this in his journal. But John had a mission. This man, John Chow, wanted to share the love of God with these people at all costs. So, John's first attempt. He's on the fishing boat. The fishermen drop him off near the coast. And he has a kayak. He jumps on his kayak. And he starts going towards the island. And he's paddling towards the island. And when he gets there, there's four people. That might be the actual picture. There's four people standing on the coast, and they're just looking at him. So he brings them a gift. He brings them fish, he brings them a soccer ball, and he brings them Bibles. And he says this, I'm quoting John. He says, I hollered, my name is John, I love you, and Jesus loves you. And he starts telling them, he goes, look, I'm a human just like you guys. I got legs, and I got arms. And I want to preach to you the love of Jesus. And as he's doing this, the youngest member of the tribe there amongst those four gets his bow and arrow and yanks his bow back and he launches an arrow at John. And John lifts up his Bible and the arrow pierces his Bible. John drops everything and he leaves his kayak and he swims a mile back to the fishing boat. Or he begins to do more journal entries. Can you imagine that? I just got shot at. With a bow and arrow, these people tried to kill me. Let me get my journal out. I got to document these things. Because these are divine encounters. So he gets his journal back out and he begins to write again. And now he writes to his parents. He says this, I love you all. And I pray that none of you, check this, none of you love anything more in this world than Jesus Christ. John stated this in his journal entries that he didn't want to die, but he was prepared for it. He was prepared to die. His last attempt. Another journal entry before he goes off. He says, I'm scared. I like that he says, I'm scared. Because this is obviously a mighty person for the Lord, that he's going to the extent of risking his own life. But he's counted the cost in doing so. He says, I'm scared, but it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. It's worth it. So the next morning, John hands his journal to the fishermen. And he tells them, I'm not coming back. I won't return this time and I will stay on the island no matter what may happen. Can you imagine that? Knowing that you're going to die proclaiming Jesus to somebody. Not saying, okay, I don't know if I'm going to... No, no. He knew he was going to die. He knew it. He got off of the fishing boat. 
And he tells these people, I'm not coming back. Don't wait for me. Give this journal to my parents. Because I have counted the cost and what it means to follow Christ. So he dove into the water, never to be seen again. You see, John was so gripped by the Spirit to share the gospel that he did what was necessary. His life was gripped by something that he was willing to die for. And he did. His body was never recovered. That's John Chow. I encourage you guys to look this story up. That is John Chow. You see, John Chow ran the race in excellence. Now listen, I'm not saying that everybody is called to go out into the mission field. Right? Not everybody's called to be a John Chow, to go out into the mission field. But maybe you're called to live like John Chow. Maybe you're called to live sold out for the cause of Jesus. Right? That you'll go to whatever extent to tell people about Christ. We're definitely called to live like that. And amen if your calling is to go out into the mission field. Amen. That's powerful. That's powerful stuff. He lived sold out for the cause of the gospel. He lived radical. You know you're called to live radical? You know you're called not to live normal? I don't know if you guys know the codes of this church. The codes are right there. Those are all the codes. And one of our codes is this. We are not normal. It's the second code. We're not normal. We're called to be remarkable. Are you being remarkable in here today, church? Not even in here. Not even in this building. We're talking about the outside. What goes on outside of this building throughout your week? What happens? Or is your ministry just here on a Sunday? Let that sink in. I pray that it's not. I pray that you could go out there and you are a light in the middle of darkness. I pray that. Because it's easy to love us in here. We all know each other. And some of us may have conflicts and that's okay. We still love one another. But are you loving the world outside? Are you showing the world outside the light of Jesus? Because that's what we're called to do. Jesus says to take the gospels to the ends of the earth. Not just come to church on a Sunday and talk about me a little while and worship me a little while and lift your hands up in a song and then pray and then cry and then go home. That's not what we're called to do, church. We're called to go out there, proclaim him. Let people sh see the light that is in you. I have a passion for this. I have a passion for reaching the lost. I have a passion about bringing people to the cross of Christ. You should have a passion for reaching the lost, for bringing people to the cross of Christ. Because the, let me tell you this, the enemy is at work. Do you know this? That the enemy is at work. He wants to silence you. He wants to instill fear in you. Don't speak to that person. What if they laugh at you? What are you going to say? What if they have questions about Jesus? What are you going to say? And then what happens? Fear penetrates your heart. Fear penetrates your mind. And then you take a step back. Ah, maybe I'll talk to them another time about Jesus. What if it's that person's last day on earth? And you had the opportunity to minister to them. What? Just what if? We have to live in the moment right now, right? We live in the moment right now because tomorrow is never promised. The Bible says that your life is nothing but a vapor and a mist, right? You are here one day and then you are gone into eternity. You know 55 million people die every single year? You know how many people that is a day? 
150,000 people a day are perishing into an eternal paradise or eternal damnation. That should set you on fire to preach the gospel. Should set you on fire to preach the gospel. We're called to live radical, not normal. We're not normal. Look at the code under we get to give. We set the stage. Do you guys know what that means? You set the stage before the world. Are you setting the stage before the world? Because the world is looking at you. You took the title of Christian? The world's looking at you. I told you, this world's gonna, I told you that this world is going to convict you to the heart. Are you bothered? Good. <laughs> That's good to be bothered. It's very good to be convicted. It's good to be uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable life. This is an uncomfortable walk that reaps eternal reward. It reaps eternal reward. So we do this in excellence. We run the race. But most importantly, catch this, we finish the race. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Throw off everything that hinders you. Count the cost. Run the race like a horse. I don't know if you guys have ever seen horse races. They put these two things on the side of the horse's eyes. They're blinders. That way the horse doesn't see what's going on next to him. Run the race looking straight. Run the race looking straight. Don't worry about what's going on and all of the noise around you. Run the race looking straight. You know that many people are going to start the race, but not a lot of people are going to finish the race. Do I have the liberty to speak honestly here? We start well, but then we get distracted. And in the distraction, we become mediocre. And I'm preaching to myself because I have become mediocre at times in my walk. So 100%, I have a mirror reflecting this back to me. We become mediocre and we get into casual Christianity. And I've said this before, that a casual Christian will be a casualty. A casual Christian will be a casualty. Many people start well, but they don't finish well. Pastor Rigo said this last week. Don't start the race unless you've counted the cost. What good is it if you start, but you don't intend to finish? Why even join the race? What if I tell you this? What if I tell you that you're called to go all in? So in a past life, I was a very big card player. I used to play a lot of poker. I don't know if you guys played poker before, but I was very addicted to cards. And I made a lot of money, and I lost a lot more money than I made. I lost a lot of money. My life revolved around casinos and card tables. So I played a lot of poker. And in poker, there is a phrase that's called all in. So when you say all in, you start, to, you start to tremble and you start to get scared. Why? Because you're risking everything you have to go all in. Because now I'm thinking that I have the best hand and I'm going to risk it all on the cards that I have. I'm thinking that I'm going to win. It's not for sure. I might win. 
the other person may throw the cards away and I win. Or they may call me and they say, okay, yeah, I wanna, I'm going to go all in too. I want to see what you got. I want to see what you got. We're called to go all in. You know, the Christian life is very similar. But in this case, you go all in knowing that you're going to win. You know you're going to win. There's no question about it. There's no gamble. There's nothing to lose but everything to gain. I have never met a Christian at the end of their life, say, one that says, I regret becoming a Christian. I can't believe I wasted so, time, so much time being a Christian. I've never met somebody to say that. Are there people? Like, yeah, there might be people like that. I have never met somebody that has been 20, 30, 40 years with the Lord saying, man, you know what? If I could go back, I would have never became a Christian. I've never met someone like that. Why? Because it has eternal rewards. Because you've, cost, you've counted the cost. If you're going to count the cost, go all in. Give it your all. Don't be mediocre. Imagine telling the Lord this, Lord, I'm not giving you my all today, God. But I'm, I'm going in, but I'm only going to give you a percentage of me today. I'm only going to give you one-fourth effort today. But don't worry, Lord, it's the full one-fourth. That quarter, you're going to get it all. If you went through this Christian walk with that mindset, that you're only going to give God a percentage, then it's better that you have never entered the race to begin with. <laughs> Being an honest in here today, right? Don't start the race if you're going to give God only a little piece of you when Jesus gave everything for you. Run the race with perseverance. Don't be mediocre. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Sometimes we read scriptures, you're like, man, I just don't like the way that sounds, Jesus. I really don't like that. I don't like it, Jesus, when you say that the way is narrow, but there's a road that is broad that leads to destruction that many people are on. I don't like to hear those things. So who has the problem? Is it me because I don't like to hear those things? Or is it God because he, he said it? It's me. Right? Because sometimes I like to hear things that are so nice. I like to hear, let me pick and choose the nice parts of Scripture. Yes, oh Lord, I know the promises. Yes, that you are for me, you're not against me. Yes, amen. That is true. These are, but there is a part of Scripture, man, that holds truth and conviction to our lives, right? So we can't skip these parts of Scripture. He's saying it. I wish you were one or the other. You're neither hot nor cold. Choose one. Don't go into this mediocre because you're going to have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. This is not a joke. You're going to stand before him. Here it is, Lord, the one-fourth that I gave you. I hope you're satisfied with it. The one-fourth, Lord. <laughs> you pick one. Either be hot or cold. But I can tell you this. 
in the Christian walk, you're called to be set on fire. It's not even hot. We're talking about a blazing heat. We're talking about fire. That's where you're called to be set. You're called to be set on fire. I pray that you are set on fire for the Lord. And listen, I know we got our days. It's okay. It's not every single day that I'm on fire for the Lord. Well, maybe when I'm in the shower. When I'm in the shower, I'm set on fire for the Lord. I don't know what that happens to you guys. Look at my wife. Look, she's saying, yeah. She, yesterday, she's in the office, and our office lines the bathroom. And I know she's doing, like, schoolwork. And I'm just there, and I'm preaching. I don't know. I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm in the shower by myself. I got worship music in the background, and I know it's driving her nuts. Because then I hear my dog in the background, raw, 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 going nuts. I go, man, she's in the middle of schoolwork, and I'm here, and the worship music is so loud, and I'm just pre, and I'm going things that the Lord has ministered to my heart. And I just walk into the room, and she doesn't even look at me. She's just, tell me no. Thank you. Thank you. Worship team, you can start coming up. Well, that was a perfect thing for the worship team. You guys want to know why some people don't finish the race? It's because they operate from a place called the green zone. I don't know if you know what the green zone is. I kind of shared this at men's group. They operate from a place called the green zone. And what's the green zone? The green zone is comfortable. The green zone is nice. Nothing bad happens in the green zone. The green zone is safe. So let me give you what the analogy of this is. If you've ever been in the military or if you've been in police work or any type of security or whatever, they assign certain colors to assess threat limits. Let's say. So red means that there's an immediate threat. You better be 100% aware of what's going on. Orange means there could be a threat coming, so stay vigilant. Yellow means no threat, but still be aware. Green means you're safe. Green means you're safe. And a lot of Christians operate in a green zone. I've operated in the green zone before. Okay? If we continually operate in the green zone, then several things could happen. Number one, your shield starts to come down. You know, there's a shield that you carry. It's found in Ephesians 6. There's a shield. Your shield starts to get heavy. And you start to put your shield down a little bit, right? Your sword that you carry isn't as sharp as it once was. Because you're in the green zone. You haven't taken it out. You haven't sharpened it. Right? You haven't used it. You haven't practiced with it. Because you're in the green zone. You feel safe in the green zone. And the helmet that you have, the helmet of salvation, wants to come off. You want to take the helmet off. Oh, my helmet's getting too heavy today. I'm taking it off. This is what happens. These are things that can happen in the green zone. And what happens in the green zone is you're giving the enemy a perfect opportunity, an opportunity that he's looking for. He's waiting for your shield to come down so he can throw temptation your way. He doesn't want your sword to be sharp so you don't use it against him. Do you guys know what the sword is? It's the sword of the Spirit. He doesn't want you to use the sword against him. And he wants your helmet off. Why does he want your helmet off? So he could fill your mind with lies. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to operate from the green zone. But check this. When you operate from the yellow or the orange zone, 
you always have your shield up. Your sword is always sharpened. And your helmet is always on. You're able to withstand the attacks of the enemy because you can see when the enemy attack is coming. Because you're alert. Not only the attacks, but now you're always aware of opportunities to do ministry. Why? Because your sword is sharp. You have the right mindset. You're more open to pray for the co-worker. Your heart wants to reach the people that are hurting. You want to serve people with the love of Christ when you're operating from a zone like this. Operate from the yellow. Operate from the orange. And be ready to fight. And be ready to serve. So I'm wrapping this up here. Galatians 5. I said the scripture earlier. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit enables you to do these things. Walk in the Spirit and you will finish the race well. You see, because when you walk in the Spirit, you made a choice. You have chosen to count the cost. But the cost of fulfilling your flesh, it reaps destruction. It reaps destruction. But walking in the Spirit brings forth life. Amen? Run the race well. You're not going to enter a marathon if you're not prepared for the marathon, right? I can't run. I'm a very bad runner. I'm not going to enter a marathon tomorrow. Why? Because I'm not prepared. For a marathon, you're training for months and for years. you got to make sure you're in top shape. Your training is on point. Your eating is on point. You have one goal, to finish the race. You want to finish the race well. You've counted what it's going to take for you to accomplish this goal. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take work. And sometimes you're going to want to give up. But church, I tell you this, to push through the hard times and grow from this pain. Grow from it. So if you run the race, do it with thanksgiving. Do it with joy. Do it with honor. And run it with perseverance. Run the race with perseverance. Can you guys stand with me today? I encourage you, count the cost and finish the race well. I pray that you have counted the cost in here today. The cost for Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel. You know, I heard a preacher say this once. Do you want to know what the most terrifying truth of scripture is? That's a weird statement to make. Because I don't know if some people in here can handle this truth. Some of you may handle it. Some of you may not handle it. Some of you may misconstrue what I'm going to say. And that's okay. But there is a terrifying truth to Scripture. And the terrifying truth to Scripture is this. Is that God is good. Some of you may be laughing or thinking, well, what's the problem with a good God? (laughs) The problem is this. Is that God is good and we are not. So what does a good God do with people like us? We've broken his commandments. We've rebelled against him. We've left his ways and we've gone our own ways. What does he do with us? Guilty sinners before his throne. What does the Lord do? 
We've all sinned against him. Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. You know what that means? That we don't even come close. We fall short of his glory. And because of our sin, church, there is a penalty to be paid. I I hope this message sounds familiar because it's the gospel. There's There's a penalty to be paid for our sin. Scripture says that for the wages of sin is death. Do you know what wages are? Wages is something that you earn. Something that you merit. We've earned it. That's how serious God takes sin that he has assigned it the death penalty. And if we die in a state of sin, we will be eternally separated from God forever. That's bad news, church. That's terrible news, church. My prayer is that you don't experience something like that. Scripture says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's fearful. But church, I have good news. I have great news. Because that's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. That God being rich in love and being rich in mercy made a way for guilty sinners like you and me to not have to go to hell. I know nobody likes to say that word. But it's the truth of scripture. You know that Jesus spoke more on hell than any other person in the Bible combined? He describes it as a very real place. But God being rich in his love and being rich in his mercy made a way for us to be reconciled to him. You see, because 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in the form of a man, in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, man, Jesus lived a perfect life of 33 years on this earth, a life that you and me cannot live for 33 seconds. And while Jesus was here, he was beaten, and he was mocked, and he was spit upon. And then he had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And then he picked up a cross, and he went all the way to Calvary. And on Calvary, he was nailed to the cross for the sins of the world. And then he died on the cross. But the story doesn't end there. You see, because three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the grave, taking victory over sin and conquering death. This is the love of God, church. Catch this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. Jesus didn't come on a judgment mission. He came on a rescue mission. That's why Jesus came to rescue you. Have you been rescued? And if you have, God is now commanding something of you. He's calling men everywhere to repent and put their faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Romans 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you counted the cost for Jesus? Because he's counted the cost for you, church. 
And guess what? He says you're worthy. He says that you are worthy. If you've counted the cost, I pray that you finish well. I pray that the Lord gives you the perseverance to finish well. The altar is open. If you need prayer up here today, or right where you're at, you can lift your arm. We just want to come alongside you if you're somebody that needs prayer. Any of the leaders of the church, please come up. And Lord God, we come before your throne room today, Lord. Lord, because we know that this Christian walk is not easy. But we have somebody that is fighting our battles. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. We thank you, Lord, that you are the hope. That you are the courage. That you are the strength for us to push on. Lord God, and I believe that everybody in this place today has counted the cost for the cross of Christ. We've counted the, God, the cost for the sake of your gospel. Lord God, and I pray that we are just so radically stirred, Lord. Lord, that we believe the codes of this church, of our nest, that we are not normal. That we are to be remarkable. And being remarkable, we set the stage for the world to see. I pray for that in here today, Father God. I pray for the promises that you have over our lives, Lord. That we continue to be a light in the midst of darkness. That we've counted this cost. That no matter the opposition, O oh Lord, that we are like a horse with blinders on, Father God, not looking back, not looking to the sides, but looking forward to the kingdom of heaven. I thank you, Lord Jesus. So you guys just meditate there for a second. Meditate in this word. Meditate in prayer. Get alongside somebody if they need prayer in here today. As the worship team continues to play, give you a moment here. Lord, we thank you, Lord, today, Father God, for your, for your word, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that's already here, oh God. And for my brother Omar just preaching it, oh Lord, with uh, fear and trembling, oh God. For, Lord, we know that your word says, Lord, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the soul and the spirit and of joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word today, Father God, Lord, that, Lord, it pierces, oh God, that, Lord, at times, if we may go off track, Father God, your word just brings us back, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for being graceful, oh God, for your word also says, Father God, that the Lord, the righteous may fall seven times, but he rises again. Thank you, Father God, Lord, that although we may fall short, oh God, we say, Lord, we're here. Thank you, Father God, for not giving up on us, Lord, because your word also says, Lord, that you will never leave nor forsake us because you are a good God, like my brother shared. So, Lord, we just come to you today, Father God, and we say, Lord, we want to finish well, oh God. You know the intents of our heart, Father God, and you know the place we are right now, Lord. So I just pray for each and every one of us that are in this room, Father God, and those who are watching, oh God, that we could just come to you and say, Lord, here I am. I'm naked before you like your word says in Hebrews. And, Lord, deal with me as you see fit, oh God. But, Lord, thank you, Lord, for your grace, Father God, because your word also says that your grace is sufficient for us, oh God, that we can move forward in the grace of the Lord. 
so lord we come to you today we say thank you lord be with us for the rest of the service father god that you get all the glory all the honor and all the praise and that we give you all all in the name of jesus and the church says amen